Good morning. To greet you in Jesus' name. Glad for each one that is here this morning. I invite you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. There was a verse that I read this week, and it's a very common verse, and a very familiar verse, and probably one that may get quoted and used out of context quite a bit. So I want to look at this chapter 29, verse 14 verses and kind of establish a context to this verse. If you haven't figured out what that verse is, that verse is verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. So let's look at the context here of this chapter 29. You know, this Jeremiah, he was a prophet, He was probably held at bondage in Jerusalem or trapped or however as he watched as certain of his people, friends, maybe family were taken captive, taken to Babylon. Sometimes things are not as we want them to be. Despite our best efforts, our circumstances sometimes aren't very friendly. But here in this setting, the setting of the Jews was somewhat, their circumstances were somewhat brought upon themselves. And they were facing their punishment for neglecting to follow and serve God. The influence of the unheathen, the, uh, the heathen nations around them, not the unheathen, but the heathen nations around them was rubbing off on them. And they had forgotten who God was. So I'd like to see what lessons can we learn from this chapter. Begin reading at Jeremiah 29, verse 1. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent unto Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that, Jeconi the king and the queen and the eunuchs and the princes of Judah and Jerusalem and the carpenters and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem by the hand of Elasus, the son of Zaphon, the Germanian, the son of Hilkai, whom Jedekiah, king of Judah, sent unto Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, 
that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams, which ye cause to dream. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into this place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Imagine with me these people that were taken into a foreign land. I'm guessing their deepest desires were to go back home. They longed for Jerusalem. You see, they had lost everything. They lost maybe family members. They lost their house. They lost their job. They lost their freedom. And no matter how you look at this situation, it seemed hopeless. But we find words of encouragement that God is giving to them, or Jeremiah was speaking, saith the Lord, verses 4. We'll look at verses 4 through 6. He says, Build houses. Plant gardens. In other words, live a life. Get a life. Get married. Have a family. Make a home away from home. you think that's what they were expecting? God is wanting them to change their perspective. It looked to them that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, was taking them captive. But God wanted them to understand that he was using Nebuchadnezzar and it was his plan to do this. He allowed it to happen. As much as we would want to escape some of the realities of our situation sometimes, we need to be content. God wants us to thrive. He wants us to have the opportunity to thrive. And he is not going to abandon us. Looking at verse 7, it talks about the peace. 
and seek the peace of the city. This peace, if I understand, comes from the word shalom. And when I think of peace, I think of peace that is um, the absence of conflict. But this word peace here has a much deeper meaning. The word shalom carries the idea of wholeness and harmony, um, complete contentment. This is the kind of peace that God is asking that they have and that they pray for. God is telling them to not be hostile, don't rebel, but to pray, to pray for them. God wants to continue to show His grace to those that are around them. He wants them to be conduits of His grace to the Babylonians. God wants them to accept the situation that they're in and to be a blessing in the midst of it. Let's not miss that. Maybe there's difficulties that we need to go through. Maybe some of the difficulties were of our own choices. But maybe some of the difficulties were out of our control and not part of our choice. Whatever situation you find yourself in, there is encouragement. Just like the Jews who were taken from their home, they were asked to thrive in the presence of God's peace. That peace is to extend to those around us. You can pray for, and you can fill in the blank, whatever blank that is that you have, for whatever there is that is robbing your peace. And that's a question that we each need to ask. Is there something that is robbing your peace? God wants us to become an agent, a uh, person that radiates his radiates his peace to those around, wherever we are. As we think of the example of the Jews here being in exile, taken away from their land into a foreign land, you know, the comparison can be made to us as Christians as well. You know, this world is not our home. And if we have joined ranks with Christ and we are a child of His, our home is in heaven. And this world needs to be a foreign place to us. It needs to not um, feel like home. We still need to live. We still need to have a life. We still need to thrive. And we still need godly people showing God's grace and peace. But yet our home is in heaven. And we'll experience that someday when that final day comes, when we get called home. So as we live, God wants us to show His grace in whatever situation or circumstance that you find yourself in. Reflect that grace, that grace that God has given 
And it may even be as hard as to those who have hurt you and have pained you. God wants you to reflect that grace to them. God wants his people to have his peace so that you can thrive and make normal life with your unfamiliar surrounding. That's why sometimes we have to face those things so we understand and maybe appreciate. And God also wants us to be faithful to Him. Verses 8 and 9. We have a concern here that Jeremiah had about prophets that were not telling the truth. They were prophesying and giving ideas maybe that sounded good, made logic, made good sense. They were itching their ears If you look back into chapter 28, Hananiah was a false prophet. I believe he was prophesying that in two years, God would bring them back and he would restore all their lost possessions. How desperate or how um, accepting would that be to you if you were in their shoes? and you were away, and you heard that, you'd want to believe that. You'd want to, I mean, to hear that it's going to be 70 years versus two years. I mean, two years seems like a long time, but 70 years, that's even that much longer. Chances of living to see the return is probably pretty much zero. And there's untruth that goes around. I found this interesting. I found this. This is an article. It's a true story. But it it seems really ridiculous. But there are people that buy it. There's a Zimbabwean pastor. He had reportedly convinced his congregation his holy pens, so a pen as in a pen, that if they would buy his pen, they would get better grades. He had him convinced. The article went on to say that he would sell the pens from anywhere from 200 Niaras to 4,000 Niaras. And he said, if you have an exam and you need, you, you only need faith in one of these pens. And you will pass your exam. And it went so far as to say that one student said that she scored higher on her exam after using one of the pens, so it must work. Another person said, my son is not very bright, and I think this will help him. 
with the knowledge he has acquired in his pen from the man of God, I think this is going to work. How ridiculous. How, can I say stupid? To buy into something like that. But you know, if you were desperate and wanting to get good grades, how tempting would that be? And for the children of Israel to be, the Jews to be in exile and to hear that, well, in two years you could be free back to your homeland, wouldn't that seem logical? That's why Jeremiah was writing. He wanted them to understand that this is in, this is going to be in for the long haul. Don't get the idea that you don't need to unpack your bags yet. You need to unpack your bags. You need to settle down. You need to call this home. Even in one of the verses there, um, in verse six, it says, you know, it talks about, uh, sons and daughters taking the marriage and, and increasing, and it says, and not diminish. In other words, it needed to continue on. God's desire is that we remain faithful to Him and to take Him at His word. So not only can we thrive in the present, having God's peace, but we can also thrive in the presence of being faithful to God. When the present seemed hopeless, let's remember, God wants us to thrive in it. Whether you're in the middle of a trying circumstance, difficulty, that you may be because of a poor choice or totally outside of your control, you need to put that in God's hand. His desire is for you to have His peace, and He wants you to be faithful to Him so that you can thrive in the middle of it. Looking at verse 10, here's where we see the truth. Jeremiah is saying, 70 years, God will fulfill his promise in bringing them back. Not two years. Buy homes. Don't rent. As hard as this is for them, God still promised to restore them. God didn't love them because of their great obedience or because of their godliness. But it was because of his gracious promise to them and to their forefathers. That is why he promised them that he would restore them. They can trust God with their future because God's plan plans for them was promising. Is that true for us today? Is God's plans promising to us? We can trust God with our future because of that. I wish I could tell you whatever situation that you're in, circumstance, difficulty, I wish I could tell you when you would come through the other side. But I can't. I can't tell you when it's going to be done. 
But I can tell you that if you are a follower of Jesus, you do have a promising future. And I want to look at Jesus promised to forgive us our sins if we call upon him and believe. Jesus also promised to make us a child of his. And Jesus promised us to have his Holy Spirit to lead us. Jesus promised to prepare a place for you and me. Jesus promised to come back and to get us, receive us, and help, or to take us to spend eternity forever with him. Now that is a promising future. We can trust God with our future because his plans are promising. And that leads us then to this verse, verse 11. So this is the context. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. He said, to those who are in exile, 70 years I will bring you home. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. These are my plans. My plans are to make your shalom plans to give you a future you hope for. God's plans are always perfect. This is where this verse can be taken out of context and that we want God to bless our plans, not realizing that maybe God has a different plan. We expect God to be this great loving God willing to help us prosper on our behalf and to operate in my timetable. God's plan is perfect. I need to understand what is God's plan. This promise was made to the Jews who were in exile, and they had to face their circumstance, their difficulties for 70 years. And God's perfect plan included that. That 70 years of exile, 70 years of misery. If this was hard for the Jews, how much harder is it for us today? in our 21st century culture. We live in a culture of instant gratification. Do we like to wait? I don't like to wait. There was an article on NPR that talked about an impatient nation. It was speaking of America. It says... We speed date, we eat fast food, we use self-checkout lines in grocery stores, we try the one weekend diet, we pay extra for overnight shipping, we honk when the light turns green, we thrive or dive on quarterly earnings reports, we speak in half sentences, we start things but don't fin, we Twitter, Twitter stories in 140 characters and less, yet some tweets get too long. We cut corners, we take shortcuts, we TXT, we LOL. 
That's the culture we live in. And do we like to wait? Culture rubs off on us. We want quick responses from God. We want God to respond right away. We want to put our timetable on God's plan. It doesn't work like that. God has an incredible plan. God has an incredible plan for His children. And they are plans of a future of hope. And God's plans are perfect. And they're promising. But they are His plans, and that's capital H-I-S. We might struggle to patiently wait for them to come to pass. But we can trust Him with our future. Looking at verses 12, 13, and 14, we can see how personal God gets. They didn't have to wait 70 years to have a relationship with God. They didn't have to wait 70 years to finally experience hope. God invited them into a personal relationship with Him right away while they were still in a foreign land, in the middle of their hardship. What God is saying is, I'm right here. When you call on me, I will listen. When you come to pray to me, I will listen. When you come looking for me, I, you will find me. If you, if you pursue me more than anything else, I promise you I will not be disappointed. And this is the kind of God that we can trust with our future. We can trust Him with the future because His plans are personal. They're for me. They're for you. God desires a personal relationship with Him. The real question we need to ask ourselves is, are we trusting Him with that? Is He enough for us? Are we seeking Him? personal incident that happened most of you probably know about it and I don't remember well I can soon figure out I think Declan had his birth, first birthday so how old are you Declan? nine? eight years ago there you have it <clears throat> We were on a trip coming back from Arizona and I had a load of U-Haul behind me with some stuff in and I don't know what, if it was something I ate or if it was a bug or what, 
But I made it to about Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I started getting sick. And I stopped and we thought we'd eat. I thought maybe I'd feel better after I eat. I ate some chicken noodle soup. That made it worse. And I managed to tough it out. I made it down the road another, I don't know, 40, 50 miles to a small little town. Uh, I can't even think of the name of it now. We stayed there on our way down, nice, quiet little town, had a Super 8 and a Motel 6. Well, on the way down, we stayed at Motel 6, which is pretty whatever. So we thought we'd step it up and stay at Motel or Super 8. So we picked Super 8, pulled in there, and I am just, I'm wiped out. I want to crash, I want to sleep, and so that's what I did. I pulled the vehicle right up to the back side of the motel, right outside of our window. Well, about 2 o'clock in the morning, the phone is ringing, and I answered. The front desk called me and said, well, we believe that somebody was trying to break into your vehicle. Oh, man. I instantly ran out there to see what was going on. I could have looked out the window, but actually, I may have looked out the window. The headlights were on, the windshield wipers were going. And anyway, um, make a long story short, um, they had tried to break in and steal our vehicle. This is Saturday night. And nobody's going to be open on Sunday, which is good. But here we are, stranded in New Mexico, a vehicle that doesn't have an ignition. A Ford dealer doesn't open till Monday morning. And we're in this dinky little motel in a small little town that has a truck stop and... Uh, a Taco Bell or something next to it. There's only so many tacos you can handle. Anyway, we we did it. We were there for three days. Thankfully, the Ford dealer allowed us to have a vehicle for one day to run around. But, you know, I remember sitting there just wanting to get going. Why did this have to happen? And it was out of my control. The person that broke into the vehicle, the only thing that we could figure out went missing was Christy had a backpack with books in that she had gotten for Christmas, a bunch of books that she brought along the trip to read. And her Bible was in there. So probably at a quick glance, it looked looked like a good thing to grab. Another backpack with, probably we're hoping for a lot better find in there than what they found, but... I don't know. The story's not done yet. God's plan. We had to derail our plan for three days. And Declan had to celebrate his first birthday in a McDonald's in New Mexico. We were hoping to be home. Sometimes in our Christian life, we get into spots where we want out. And we just want to go home. We just want to go play. Are we content with God? You know, sometimes we want doors to open. Are we content when the door doesn't open? Think of it this way. If you're in a tight spot, 
and the door doesn't open. Is it possible that God, I will say it is possible that God, is in that room with you? And it's your choice, it's your opportunity, it's your time to make the choice to bang against that door with all your might and scream and holler to go get out, or it's your choice to say, God, I'm here, you're here, can I sit with you? Can I learn more about you? What is it that you're trying to teach me? Do we see it that way? Are we seeking God in the middle of our struggle? Or am I busy pounding on the door? God, get me out of here. You love me enough. You would open that door for me. Or maybe we try to escape and we run out. But yet God is offering the invitation for us to just come and sit with Him. And to seize that opportunity to know Him better. When the future seems hopeless, God wants us to trust in Him. I believe the bottom line of this passage is that in the midst of hardship, there can be hope. And that hope can be found in the pursuit of God. And we can have hope now, but we can also have hope for a bright future. If you look at that verse 11 again, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give an expected end. Doesn't that feel a little different? I'd like to close with an illustration. How many of you have been to the Hoover Dam? A few of you. The Hoover Dam was built in 1935. We were talking about science this morning. And if you've been to the Hoover Dam, it is quite a art of engineering. But there's a few concepts that they used in their building that that dam. That dam is built on the Colorado River. It's in the Black Canyon between Arizona and Nevada. And it is considered one of the nation's one of the greatest nation, nation civil engineering wonders. But what makes it so unique is that it has an arch gravity dam. And it's like the letter C on its side. And the purpose of that design is that as the dam puts pressure onto it, it pushes it harder and deeper into the bedrock and makes it stronger. And I'd like you to think of that concept, that illustration, that as the things around us press in on us, the struggles, the trials, whatever it is, are we like, does that push us in deeper into God? That we're able to be wedged firmly and stronger because of that. I know that's your desire and that's your heart's cry. Sometimes when the rubber meets the road, the tests are flying, sometimes it's easier said than done. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, 
to give you an expected end.